0: Welcome back, Creeps. Hey y'all. Welcome to HH Jones, two part three, part two. No, <laughs> this is HJ Jones part three, but this is our second time recording it.
1: Yeah, basically the first file got corrupted, so here we are. Yeah.
0: I'm actually so I w- I was so mad. Yeah. It was one o'clock. I had just finished one o'clock last night, and I had just finished. Uh, editing the whole thing because i got it done nice and early because spoiler alert we got a sponsor for this episode which means we have to send the episode now to somebody else for them to go oh yes you said the words properly and then they send it back but yeah so i had done it all early and then i go to export the fucking episode and the computer just craps out so anyway i think we're actually kind of lucky because this is the first time it's happened to us like I've seen this happen sporadically across like too many other podcasts.
1: I wouldn't use the word lucky. I mean, it could have been <laughs> a lot worse, you know? Uh
0: it's the first time Touchwood, hopefully it's the only time it ever happens. But yeah, what I'm more annoyed about is that this episode was actually full of like shocking surprises and stuff. Yeah. But now you already know what's coming, so I do. Uh I want you. That's okay because
1: pra- okay our listeners don't.
0: Our listeners don't, but I want you to practice your. <clears throat> and, <laughs> oh my god. Um. So yeah, even though this one is slightly more rehearsed, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, with that being said, we actually did have a lot of banter last time because we had just been to the ren fair. Well, last mm-hmm. time, two days ago, when we recorded this. Yeah. So last weekend we went to the Ren fair. We met up with our friends Kirsten and Isaac, mm-hmm. who are super cool. Um because Kirsten, we only know her because of the podcast. Right. She reached out last year, she works up there and uh we're yeah. lucky
1: enough to meet her in person.
0: Yeah, and now we just have some cool friends that we got to the Renaissance Festival with. Yeah. And um yeah, it was a lot of fun. Got some nice pictures. And actually, uh so I posted a reel. I i mean, Dulce already knows all this, but this is the most exciting thing that's happened in my week <laughs> up until last night. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I posted a reel. I spent way too long trying to, you know, do it properly, like how the kids do it. And then I was just like, fuck it. Posted it whatever way, all janky and stuff. But there was a picture of one lady dressed up as a fairy in it. And she saw the reel. And then I was like, oh, no way, really? that's that's her. Like, So I sent her the picture and she was delighted. And uh, yeah, that was nice.
1: Very cool. And now you're finding people through your photography. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, so if anybody needs any photos, take it now. Oh, and I now have a stalker in work. What? So a couple of weeks ago. Oh, is it the spider? Yes, the spider. So a couple of weeks ago. And actually this was Kirsten came in handy here as well cuz Kirsten is a collector of all things
1: creepy crawly. Yeah, really. And slithery.
0: Yeah. Snakes, lizards, anything like that I'm fine with. I've never seen a scorpion in real life so I don't know how I would react. But spiders terrify me. And a few weeks ago I was walking back to the office and there was a wolf spider. I know this now because Kirsten helped me uh identify it.
1: Look it up.
0: Dude. I'm not joking. I've been telling everybody this. I genuinely thought that it was a Halloween decoration (laughs) because like this was a couple of weeks ago now. And I was like, no, someone's just fucking with me or like they dropped it or something. It was the size of like the palm of my hand and like thick legs. And it had all its babies all over its back.
1: Just, just, Disgusting.
0: Yeah. No, to me, I'm just like, no, I'm not the type that's going to kill. Like, I don't even like killing small spiders or anything like that. I'm just like, you know, okay, you guys live your life over here. I'm going to be inside, away from you anyway. (laughs) So then yesterday in work, um, on Wednesdays, I kind of have to do a bit of like helping customers out and stuff like that because the boss goes out and this spider literally walks in the front door. (laughs) (laughs) So I tried to gently scoosh him out. And I thought I got him out. And then all of a sudden I look up in the top corner. He's just there watching me. But it's one of these baby wolf spiders now. Mm -hmm. And then he was like behind me. I didn't see a move. And then he disappeared. And then today I found him like just watching me from a wall in another room. Well, he
1: moved in because the lizard moved out.
0: The lizard may or may not have moved out. We did have like a resident gecko that was hanging out around like the customer orders. So I'm assuming that it went home with a customer in their bag of, like, memories and stuff. (laughs) Surprise! Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But uh, either way, now I have this spider, and I was like, this fucking thing is stalking me.
1: You should send an email blast to all the customers and be like, hey. Attention, everybody. (laughs) Like, if you got the winning lizard, contact us. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, you get like 10 free digitized photos if you find the lizard. <laughs>
1: no, if you get the if you get the, the, surprise-free lizard, you get a wolf spider.
0: <laughs> yeah, you you have to come and get it, though. So, yeah, either way... Uh, but, like,
1: I'm terrified for you because you've seen how big they can get.
0: Yeah. So, like, kind of like morbid curiosity, I, I want to see how big this one gets. Oh, God. But, funny enough... I'm, Wait, do we- you
1: still take your bag to inside...
0: No, actually.
1: Okay, good, because it might crawl in there. Yeah, and no, no, now no. we have a fucking wolf spider <laughs> resident.
0: No, but I saw the amount of baby spiders that were on this thing's back, Ugh. and this is just one of them. Gross. Anyway, like I re- don't
1: like saying gross because it's nature.
0: I know, but this thing but- is, and like, is like right now it's kind of cute and small, but like it's still got the big fat legs. Ah, oh, Jesus! You know, not trying to body shame the spider or anything. Bless it anyway <laughs> i sent the picture to kirsten again i was like this fucking thing is out to get me <laughs> or, or she said it's out to get you like watch your back and i was like is it really i mean i don't know but i thought like i saved its mother yeah. basically when well, i spared her life yeah so surely he should have my back yeah you know anyway
1: i i i thought like i i hope she was kidding because i would have taken that literally because she knows so much about
0: spiders (laughs) like the baby chick thing like no it saw you as a baby and now it's following you and
1: now you're its father
0: yeah but the the last thing i will say and this is actually pretty funny so i said the day we saw the big one outside Mm -hmm. because this was like like i sent pictures back home and everything i was like yeah you alerted the media yeah i I really did call a press conference but I went into my boss and I was like, hey, you should come see this thing. It's a fucking giant. And uh, I was like, are you afraid of spiders at all? And he's like, well, I'm not afraid so much as I just don't like them because I've been in hospital five times for different <laughs> spider bites. Yeah. And then he like proceeds to pull up and show me like, look at this. My my right calf is smaller than my left calf because a spider, Um, what did he say? It didn't bite him, but he's like, it the discharged on my leg. He, he was like deadly serious as well. It
1: came on your leg, yeah. basically.
0: Acidic spider semen. Anyway, so that, that's what's been going on. Wow. But th- you know what? I'm actually grateful for this wolf spider because otherwise my job can be so painstakingly boring that a bite from a wolf spider might just spice things up a bit. Anyway, have <laughs> well, you got a car for us? <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Yeah.
1: But yes. Yes, I do. And it's different than
0: yesterday's.
1: (laughs) Um, Let's see. Card of the day. Page of swords. Today's message. Today is a day of insights about yourself and your life. There is a possibility you realize some truth that is difficult or painful. Be compassionate with yourself. You may want to seek guidance From a wise and trusted friend or teacher boy is that ever on the nose (laughs) just had a difficult conversation with my mom about something it was necessary it was painful but it's it was necessary Yeah. yeah it's my truth and that's it
0: good and uh i went through about 15 different moods today because of this episode, like, and I was like, oh, it's so good. Now we have to re-record and re-edit and all this and blah, blah, blah. I was like, let's just not ever do it again. Let's just call it quit. And then I was like, no, you know what? Because I have, like, pretty recently just come out of, like, a, I would say a bad depression mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Like, where it, it it was just very negative and Yeah. Like.
1: Yeah, when you said that you were that you were thinking about just quitting... I was like, yeah, let's quit mm-hmm. because I know how much this takes out of you. And if you feel like this is the right decision, then I fully support it and, you know, fuck it. Let's yeah. just be done with it.
0: But then I was like, no, this is the me from a few months ago talking. Mm. And now I'm going to be a positive Thomas. Okay. And then... uh does say replied via text and said "fuck Tom" or no? Thomas a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, with that being said, if you if you hear any strange noises, uh, it's just the- our pork chop. Yeah, pork chop is sitting on my lap. Um, she actually seems pretty comfy. Yeah, but uh, we'll leave her. Yeah, and anyway, before we get started, we do have a sponsor for this episode. This is our first sponsor, so that's why we were also extra excited when we were recording a couple of days ago. But anyway, it's this little drink called Magic Mind. All right. Now they sent us out a little bottle, uh, or a little—not uh, one bottle, but they sent us out a little like sample pack. And so the episode HJ Jones Part Two, I wrote while I. Was on Magic Mind while I was using Magic Mind. It was powered by Magic Mind. Powered by Magic Mind. And so that day, because everybody here knows, like, the focusing thing is really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. But that day, anyway, I went to a coffee shop. I had something to eat. And I took the little shot of Magic Mind. It looks like those little, like, cold-pressed juice shots. Or, like, the turmeric shots that you see in the grocery store. But it's packed full of matcha. Um, so there is a little bit of caffeine, but it's like a nice smooth caffeine ride. You don't get all jittery and stuff like that. It also has something called Bacopa Manieri, which is a nootropic that approves your attention span. This is what actually helps you focusing. Uh, It also has ashwagandha, which is good for reducing anxiety, stuff like that. And there was something else that I was reading as well that like, it is also supposed to help you, um, help you sleep better and stuff too. And this is not something that I uh, struggle with, but I would like to know somebody who uses it that does struggle with sleeping Mm -hmm. for them to verify that because I do. That sounds cool to me. So for me that day, the only reason why I had something to eat was because they said, if you have a sensitive stomach, make sure to eat something before you take this. So I, I didn't want to risk the biscuit, but my stomach was fine anyway. Yeah, it tasted nice. And I did like get the majority of that episode written in one sitting, which is rare for me. So I think I sat there from like nine o'clock until one o'clock and that's when you called me and I only left because there was like a little emergency and we had to go visit our relative um, in the hospital that time. But yeah, other than that, it seemed pretty cool. We're waiting on Dulce to get her shipment in and she's going to be the, uh, the advocate for Magic Mind by next week. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I did really like about it was that normally I'll start my day, I'll have like three or four cups of coffee by one o'clock like on an average day and that day and when i was taking the magic mind i would only have one cup of coffee and that in the morning and then i'd be good for hours i think there's an actual like it says five to six hours or something like that Mm -hmm. but it stopped me from going to the shop and getting like an energy drink as well Mm -hmm. which is something that i'm really trying to cut back on lately because it's like my last hang up that i have like
1: yeah because otherwise you're pretty straight edge
0: yeah, like in terms of living a boring monastic life, like no alcohol, no drugs no, or cigarettes. or No
1: meat, no dairy. No meat
0: or dairy. Yeah, not a whole lot, actually. Just sugar is like, sugar and energy drinks are my last uh, bad habits, really, in terms of diet and stuff like that. So this really helped me those days by not going out and buying an energy drink or whatever. So yeah, in terms of that, I definitely would recommend it. And if you guys want to try it out, go to www.magicmind.co forward slash creep. Use the discount code creep20. Now, I would recommend going for the subscription if you're going to get into this because they do say like any vitamin or anything like that. The more you take it, the better it is. Like, So that's what they recommend is if you go for the subscription, you will get 40% off with that discount code creep20. But if you want to just buy a one-time thing, the code will get you a 20% discount. So www.magicmind.co forward slash creep. Creep20 is the discount code. Now let's get on with HH Holmes part three. Just pretend like you're surprised every time I say anything, like at the end of any sentence, just be like, you got it. So two more sources to add to this growing list of research material. The Three Confessions of H.H. H. Holmes by Adam Selzer and William Griffith. Adam Selzer is the author of H.H. H. Holmes, The True Story of the Devil in the White City. And interesting little fact, he is friends with Jeff Mudgett. Do you remember this name? Yes. Now do you remember this name?
1: That's H.H. H. Holmes.
0: Well, okay. It's a, <laughs> it's a part of H.H. H. Holmes, kind of. So Jeff Mudgett, is the great great grandson of Herman Webster Mudgett, who is H.H. Holmes. Okay. So this guy's still alive, and I'm pretty sure he's a like he's earned his living yeah. through his great-great-grandfather's name, as far as I can see. But I do believe that he is who he says he is. I see no reason to doubt it. So anyway, the other source is Holmes, a serial killer in his own words, by H.H. Holmes. But this was heavily influenced by a dude called Matt Lake. So I was just kind of using little excerpts here and there just to compare stories. Because it's an autobiography supposedly written by Holmes, who is, as we know, a pathological liar. And it's edited by a dude who specifically sensationalized everything for his own fame and fortune. Mm -hmm. So it's very much taken with a grain of salt. So with that being said, let's buckle in for part three in our H.H. Holmes extravaganza grindcore deluxe. Last week, we delved into some of the more grisly tales from the Holmes catalogue of rascalities. We spoke about Ned, Julia and Little Pearl, as well as Emlyn Sigrand. Today, we're going to keep pushing on through that Holmes timeline as best as we can, and I'm sure I'll have gotten a few bits like of odd details wrong here and there. Like, one thing that I do know I got wrong was Holmes's skeleton articulator was not actually Charles Chappelle. That was the son of the skeleton articulator. And he was wrongly named by the press. His actual name was Myron George Chappelle. So, apologies in advance. I will try and correct these things as I go ahead, but so Charles Chappelle was indignant at the time because he was like you're slandering my father you're slandering my father's name. Like you need to stop making all these false stories and then the media started using his name instead, but he was Savage. actually a prominent character. Yeah. Like I think it might have been ruining his career. Anyway, Minnie Williams was born in eighteen sixty. Her father was killed in some sort of train accident when she was just six years old and her mother died not long afterwards. Now, her father died in... I mean, obviously, it, was, it wasn't funny. The poor chap died. But it was just some, like, train-related injury. And everywhere I read, it was, like, slightly different. Like, one was... He was standing on an open platform and hit his head on, a, like, a sign yeah. as he drove past. Another one was just... Uh, he just fell off the train. Um, It seemed, like, very 1890s... Well, I would have been before that, but very 1860s death. Minnie and her sister became separated after the death of their parents, with Minnie being taken to live with an uncle in Dallas, while her sister, Nanny, went to another uncle in Jackson, Mississippi. They also had a brother named Winnie Williams, right? That's what we're calling him. His name was actually Baldwin. Baldwin. Yay, you remember. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm assuming that they all called him Winnie because... Nanny, Minnie, and Winnie just sounds a lot more fun to me. Anyway, I'm not sure what happened to him as a child, but we'll get back to him later. Minnie and Nanny were pretty well looked after, um, and Minnie went on to study at the Boston Conservatory of Music and Elocution. Just days before she graduated, however, her uncle died from some long term illness, leaving Minnie with the rights to some property in Fort Worth, which is just west of Dallas. She travelled around a bit after college. She had wanted to become an actress and even went as far as opening her own theatre production company at one point, but she lost a ton of money with this venture. I think it was around $15,000 she lost. Like, at that time. She was described by some people as being well-educated, but not the sharpest tool in the shed. Now, I think she just lacked common sense. She was a little bit too naive and a little bit too gullible. She ended up making her way to Chicago on her travels and there's many stories of how the two actually came into contact, like everything with Holmes, and his own version of how they met is just adds to even more confusion. There does certainly seem to be proof that he actually met her in Boston a few years before and then struck up a love interest, but regardless, what we know for definite is that she was in Chicago and working as Holmes' personal secretary by March of 1893. And, within weeks, they were also lovers. Now, poor Elmini was not like Holmes's other mistresses, in the sense that she was not tall, buxom, or even blonde. Some descriptions were not very nice, and some were very polite, describing her as gracious and elegant, but hardly beautiful. Harold Schechter described her as short and plump, with light brown ringlets that made her look almost like an overgrown baby. (laughs) And he's not the only one to describe her as basically being a giant baby.
1: A giant baby. A yes.
0: giant baby. But Holmes was a modern man and not some pig who only cared about looks. Minnie also had...
1: Money. Ding, ding, ding. Just, I just want to jump in real quick because there was something that was bugging me. I was trying to remember what the colloquial, colloquialism was for... Someone that doesn't have common sense, and it was playing with uh, what is the saying?
0: A few, card short a few cards
1: deck. short of a <laughs> <all> deck. A few cards short of a full deck. And so that put me down a rabbit hole.
0: So that's what you've been researching this whole time. Yes. Uh,
1: <laughs> there's a few beers short of a six pack. There's a village missing its idiot. Oh God, that's, that one's harsh. That that's
0: a little bit harsh.
1: I like this one. Uh, I like this one. The elevator, the elevator doesn't go to the top floor. <laughs> <laughs> Couple of quarters short of a roll. <laughs> what? <laughs> Missing a few buttons on his or her remote control.
0: Jesus Christ! What?
1: As smart as bait. Well, yeah. <laughs> I li- I like. Uh, uh, dumber than a box of rocks
0: dumber than a box of rocks so i don't know if she was quite that dumb she is a victim here so uh
1: no yeah no I was. let's just...
0: go with yeah not the sharpest tool in the shed i, I think that's a, a nice way of putting it
1: yeah no i just like those things so they're pretty they funny. Are funny
0: yeah i'm gonna try and store them for future use
1: yes yeah, so i like the elevator one
0: yeah me too i'd never heard of that one Sorry, my foot went dead holding pork chop. And now I've got the pins and needles feeling where I'm afraid to move it.
1: Mm, but you must.
0: But I must. So I couldn't tell you exactly how much Minnie had at this point after her loss with the theatre company. But she had the deeds to her uncle's land and also a small inheritance. I think from the uncle, like I think he left her a lump sum, the land. And she also had her inheritance from the unfortunate death of... Winnie, or Baldwin. Mm -hmm. I'll get to that in a little while. But by May of 1893, Holmes had rented a furnished flat for Minnie and himself to play house in. It was located, remember this fact, it was located at 1220 Wrightwood Avenue, which you should Google. I always Google the addresses when I'm doing these things because I'm like, I love seeing if the thing is still there.
1: Is that the place that's not the place anymore?
0: It's the place that's not the place anymore. So. Again, imagine living with me (laughs) and you're Dulce and you just got home from a long day of work. (laughs) And then I come home and I'm like, guess what? So they rented a place at 1220 Wrightwood Avenue. But if you Google 1220 Wrightwood Avenue, the building that you see today is not the same 1220 Wrightwood Avenue that was there 150 years ago, 130 years ago. It was, in today's Rightwood Avenue, around 1040. So I haven't actually looked that up yet. How interesting. Riveting. Right? (laughs) The fucking stories. (laughs) are just (laughs) balls-to-the-wall information. (laughs) Um, Of course, he convinced Minnie to sign over the deed to her Fort Worth property, no doubt telling her that he could make double her money or some shit like that. And it was signed over to a, quote, acquaintance, which of course, was just another of Holmes' aliases. The list of Holmes's aliases at this point is so long that I literally can't even, like, count them. Now, some people seem to think that maybe Minnie was in on some of these sneaky plans to some extent, or that she just knew more than, like, she was letting on. I think some people suggested that the babyface innocence was actually just an act that she put on. Yeah. And she would have known a certain amount because like Julia and Emmeline, she was his secretary and knew that he used various names depending on the type of business that he was carrying out or where they were. For example, when he first introduced himself to Minnie, he told her that his name was actually Harry Gordon. But when she came to Chicago, he told him that under absolutely no circumstances should you use the name Gordon in front of anyone. But Harry is fine. And I do think that Harry and Henry are kind of interchangeable. Like, it's like a common enough nickname that people aren't going to be like, why the fuck is she called? It's not like she's calling them Derek. Yeah. You know?
1: Or Nostradamus.
0: Or Nostradamus, yeah. Minnie was writing to Nanny a lot at this time. The two had become reacquainted in the few years prior, and she had struck up a really clo- close relationship. The two had grown apart to the point where, they had almost forgotten about each other because they were so young when they were separated and then I think whenever Minnie got the money and started travelling that's when she paid a visit to Texas I think and uh, yeah the two of them got really close really fast but obviously since moving to Chicago and falling madly in love with this new handsome wealthy doctor her letters were full of fantastical tales of romance and promises but Nanny spelt something fishy to put it nicely, she knew her sister and didn't really think she was the type to entice such a man, even if he was a few even if he was a few years older than her. She wasn't being an arsehole. She was just looking out for her big sis. Yeah. And you know, she knew Minnie wasn't in, like some supermodel going around. And she also knew that Minnie had a pile of money. And she also knew that she was quite gullible. Mm. So, you know, but recognising the possible issues that this may cause to any future plans, Holmes told Minnie to invite Nanny up to see the fair, which was in full swing by now. He was going to pay for the whole trip. The Nanny wasn't quite as wealthy as Minnie. She was a schoolteacher in Midlothian, Texas, and she had been raised by a reverend, so she was well looked after, but she wasn't, like, fucking rolling in it like Minnie was. So during the second week of June... Nanny joined Minnie and her dapper doctor, who embraced her as though she were already family. Soon, she was calling him Brother Harry. Gross. Gross. (laughs) This is the skeeviest part of this whole story for me. I don't know why. That just grosses me out so much. But accounts of how Nanny spent her time with Minnie and Brother Harry, they differ a little bit. But she basically had a couple of touristy weeks visiting the World's Fair also known as the Columbian Exposition, which really was so big that you needed multiple visits to see everything. Then Brother Harry had a great idea. He'd been planning to whisk Minnie away to Europe and thought that Nanny should, of course, join them. It would be no hassle and she need not worry about it, funds or anything like that because he had means enough for all three of them to enjoy a lavish trip. He also made sure that she get that in writing. So Nanny wrote to her, and an uncle in Mississippi, in which she told them quote, "Sister, Brother Harry, and myself will go to Milwaukee and then we will go to Old Orchard Beach, Maine, by way of the St Lawrence River,'ll we'll we visit two weeks in Maine, then on to New York. Brother Harry thinks I am talented, he wants to look he wants me to look around about studying art." <laughs> 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 Who was that? <laughs> that's nanny. Her voice we just is, interrupted. Her voice is breaking. <laughs> then we will set. Then we will sail for Germany by way of London and Paris. If I like, I will stay and study art. Brother <laughs> Harry says you need never trouble about me. No, brother Harry says you need never trouble any more about me financially or otherwise. He and sister will see to me, and see to her. He will. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: like how you just went like high pitch and you're just like art. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Once Nanny had the letter written, Holmes suggested that Minnie should stay at the flat and see to, you know, getting the place cleaned up or something, whatever. He was like, You stay here and do lady business. I'm going to take Nanny to the castle and give her a tour because she hadn't been there yet. The reason why she hadn't been there, even though she'd been in Chicago for like two weeks by now, was that the castle had almost become a trap between all the creditors and people just trying to get to homes and get their money back, stuff like that. But this weekend was July 4th weekend, so the building was going to be nice and quiet, all the shops on the bottom floor were going to be closed, and most of the tenants would be out just enjoying the fair and, I don't know, watching fireworks or something. So it was a perfect time to get Nanny alone. A few hours later, a lone, loving Harry showed up at Minnie's. He told her that Nanny was waiting at the castle for them both and that they were all going to go out for a nice dinner. This was the last time anybody saw Minnie or Nanny. Holmes later confessed that he believed that the infamous footprint in the vault actually belonged to Nanny, but I think that was a dubious claim at best. He was just trying to, you know...
1: He was just being a bitch.
0: He was just being a bitch and trying to like drum up media attention, stuff like that. Patrick Quinlan and Ben Peitzel actually inherited some of Minnie's possessions. Peitzel's wife Carrie got a load of lovely dresses, supposedly. And Quinlan got two big trunks bearing the initials MRW, which were Minnie's initials. And I actually still haven't looked up what the R stood for.
1: Jesus.
0: But the saddest part of all of this, well, I mean, definitely not the saddest part. One sad thing about all of this was that while Nanny's trunk of possessions went sadly unclaimed at the train depot, it eventually found its way back to Midlothian, where Nanny was uh, working as a school mom, Midlothian, Texas. But the reason why it was sent back was because Holmes was literally just too cheap. He knew that he was going to kill her, mm-hmm. and he was too cheap to pay the $9 for her to have her stuff. He was like, Oh, don't worry about it. Like it's fucking late or something. I'll buy all new stuff. Don't worry. Don't worry like you know such a mundane detail yeah it's like i'm not paying the nine dollars because she's not going to last that much longer
1: yeah that's really shitty yeah it's not so much that he was cheap he's just shitty
0: just shitty yeah. yeah yeah exactly um and at this point it was either the school or her aunt somebody sent an investigator north anyway to see what had happened to her because When the stuff got back to Midlothian, the train station sent somebody to the schoolhouse to say, hey, we've got this lady's stuff and you're the last point of reference that we have for her. Mm -hmm. But her aunt did have that letter saying that, quote, Brother Harry was going to buy her all new nice things and then they were going to go on this big, long trip. Anyway, somebody was starting to get suspicious. And here's where we get another lovely sprinkling of confusing as shit timelines because... Everything in this just all over the place because of Holmes. Holmes and Minnie had actually gotten married at some point. It was a quiet little ceremony with an officiant and a couple of witnesses, but the paperwork was never processed. So it was just Holmes telling Minnie we're married now. Like he went through the whole thing, and he just didn't like send in the last little thing. So Minnie died believing that she had married the man of her dreams. Yeah, when in actual fact. He was still married to Clara Lovering back in uh, Massachusetts or wherever, New England. And Myrtha. Myr- Myrtha was living in Wilmot, just outside of Englewood. So at this point, surely another wife would be the last thing on his mind.
1: But like, why did he just send it off?
0: Because then he would have been done for... Uh... Oh, well, I guess he actually it actually would have been Harry Gordon written on the thing. Yeah. But he, again, this is his thought process. He's like, is like oh, because it no costs need money? St- Probably. And yeah. he's just like, well, this it's just going to muddy the waters. Like, it's another way for him to get caught out, basically. Okay. But as well as all this, he had already set his sights on someone else at this point. Yeah. So in March of 1893, which is documented as when Holmes and Minnie were at least working together, in Englewood, Holmes had already known 23-year-old Georgiana Yoke. She was described as being absolutely stunningly beautiful by some. She was petite and blonde with a magnetic personality, although other people said that her eyes were crazy far apart, almost bulging, something like a King Charles Cavalier or French Bulldog
1: that's so shit first the man the woman baby and then
0: the dog i know i think people just got really shitty once these people got their names in the paper
1: yeah
0: um and then the other part
1: it's like social media
0: yeah a little bit yeah (laughs) but so there's that school of thought and then there's also i think she genuinely had such a lovely bubbly personality that some people just didn't see her um she had
1: haters
0: Yeah, no, 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 but as well, like some people literally described her eyes as deformities. Yeah, so I don't know, but it was a funny little connection because people were like, well, maybe this is why her and Holmes got along so well because he was also supposed to have like a gimpy eye. (laughs) Anyway, Holmes had been trying to court Georgiana the whole time that the mini and nanny business was going down, but suddenly he had a lot more free time after July and the two of them wasted no time in advancing their relationship. By the autumn of 1893, they were engaged and planning a winter wedding. He seemed to enjoy this time of year because this was when Julia Connor was murdered on Christmas Eve 1891. Emlyn C. Grand was murdered in December of 1892, so some sort of big event was definitely becoming his Christmas tradition at this point. I've kept a lot of the business scandal out of this story because it very quickly becomes just a muddle of different names and more aliases for every new character that gets roped in. But just as an example of what was going on on the business end of things, Minnie was signed on as an officer or a partner of a company along with four other people. It was the Campbell Yates Manufacturing Company and it was registered as something dumb like Buyers and Sellers of All Things, which is literally just, this is a cover-up company for when I need to embezzle money. Its five listed officers were Mr. Williams, a.k.a. Mini Williams, Henry Owens, a porter under Holmes's employee. So this dude was literally, he would bring bags up and down to rooms in the castle or just help out on the day-to-day, but he had no idea that his name was even signed to this, like, Mystery business. And the other three officers, our partners, were Hiram S. Campbell, who was Holmes, A.S. Yates, who was Holmes, and H.H. H. Holmes. So, who Campbell, was Holmes? Who, who was Holmes
1: yes.
0: <laughs> uh, Hiram Campbell was the name on the original deed for the Holmes building. And Yates was supposed to be some rich New York businessman, but he was fictitious. Either way, Holmes's business rascalities were definitely catching up with him at this point. The investigator who was hired to find out what had happened to Nanny and other strange inquiries relating to both business and missing persons had inadvertently stirred the pot with a whole pile of Holmes' creditors, leading to a lot of them banding together to track him down. Oh Yeah, and while all this was going on, he'd actually been ousted in a big newspaper scandal, I'm pretty sure the year before, but I guess he used so many aliases, and it was still so easy to just defraud people, especially when the papers weren't printing actual pictures. It was like sketches of the man and random names being thrown out. And then the people that did actually know him were just astounded that the newspapers could, sprint, could print such lies about this lovely local businessman that they knew. like Because they knew that he was nothing but a hardworking gentleman, a true aspiring American. So anyway, once all that died down, he just continued scamming and doing whatever he wanted. But in October of 1893, in what seems like a final half-assed attempt at a big insurance scam in Chicago, he set fire to his precious building. It was just the third floor of the building, which I think is all he really wanted to damage. But I say it was a half-assed attempt because he didn't even try to make it look unintentional. And the insurance people didn't buy it at all. He had set like three random fires in different locations. And the reason why it was the third floor, like I explained last week or a couple of weeks ago, is that it was never really properly furnished or kitted out to be lived in. Like he really just built it as a ploy to trick other investors into Mm -hmm. thinking, wow, like he's going to have this many more rooms. Like we'll definitely give him money for this, that and all the rest. So it was empty other than he had an office up there. He moved his office up there. In the end, the insurance company offered to pay out somewhere around $6,000. However, they would only pay it if Hiram S. Campbell came to collect it.
1: The plot thickens.
0: The plot thickens. The insurance investigator knew exactly what Holmes was up to, but I guess he either had no way of directly proving it or they just didn't want to waste time like getting police and all involved. In November, a meeting was called with all of those creditors who had banded together. Dozens of them, according to Harold Schechter, but even one dozen is pretty threatening. (laughs) They had all hired one singular lawyer to represent them all, and they also had a police officer with them. Now, I'm really surprised the Holmes even showed up at this meeting, to be honest. But in he went to a room full of people who were demanding he pay them back $50,000 worth of bad loans, stolen goods, and dodgy credit notes. Either they he pays them back or he goes off with this police officer. Mm-hmm. Now, $50,000 today would be just under $1.7 I did get a little bit off track looking this up. But that means that $1 back then is worth around $34 today. Some of that is relatively priced, like a shirt, for example, was around a dollar. But then I looked up, like, a box of cornflakes is something that we could have bought back then and we can still buy today. And a box of cornflakes back then was $0.10 cents a box. I looked up on Walmart's website, and for some reason they said it was almost $8 for a regular-sized box of cornflakes.
1: And that's why we don't eat cereal.
0: That's why we don't eat cereal. No, but I don't know if that's true or not. I really couldn't I find. find... This on the web. Whoa! Bitch, don't be listening to me. <laughs> what did you find on the web? You didn't even give me an answer. I thought she was going to tell me. You know, she what?
1: just wants to be on the show.
0: Yeah. How much is a box of cornflakes? <laughs> okay, four eighty. From from Target. So anyway. I looked it up again. (laughs) Thanks to Siri there. But either way, four eighty or something like that for
1: for some flakes.
0: Yeah. Four (laughs) fifty. Between four fifty and four eighty for some frosted for some regular corn flakes, the frosted flakes are cheaper for some reason. That was a different conspiracy. But with that price, based on this one item, that one point seven million is more like two and a half million or in and around that. Don't even get me started about the cookies because they were only five cents back then for a pack of cookies. Today, a pack of Oreos is almost $5 and I'm not happy about that. Jesus. Anyway, back to this meeting of seething creditors. The lawyer that they had hired was all fired up. He was like getting ready to win big off this. But Holmes brought the good old charm that had gotten him this far. And within minutes, he had all of the creditors nodding nodding along sympathetically as he explained his hardships with tears in his eyes. He actually talked them around around to taking a credit note. He said that he would take out a mortgage based on some properties he owned or something like that. And everybody was like, oh yeah, okay, like that sounds good to me, like I'll take this credit. (laughs) Thankfully the lawyer was there and he just asked Holmes to please step out and wait in the other room while they discussed it. But while he was waiting outside, he noticed an open window. And so he just climbed out the fucking window and left the meeting. He said, that window looks good. Yeah. What a delightful day it is outside. (laughs) And just jauntily went on down the road. Like, so the cop, the lawyer, all these creditors, they had just been swindled again.
1: Yeah. Out of their time.
0: Out of their time now. Yeah. Like it was, (laughs) it was a really big insult, I would think. Mm Mm-hmm. In early January, he skipped town with his lovely new fiance. They were heading to Texas to meet his right-hand man, Peitzel. You see, on the 9th of November, the Fidelity Mutual Life Association of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, insured one Benjamin F. Peitzel's life for the sum of $10,000. Now, you might be thinking, what's going through Georgiana's head right now? But Holmes had definitely laid a faint... But Holmes had definitely laid a foundation for this business trip that they were about to embark on. He had told her that both of his parents and all of his siblings were dead and that his, quote, closest relative was his mother's brother, a childless bachelor named Henry Mansfield Howard, who had a special fondness for his one surviving nephew. He had promised to bequeath Holmes all of his property, but only on one condition, that Holmes assumed the name of his uncle who, as Holmes put it, had no son of his own to perpetuate the family appellation. So in regular people speak, (laughs) Holmes Holmes told Georgiana that he was going to have to change his name to Henry Mansfield Howard so as he could claim the land in Texas. But the land that he claimed was his uncle's land was actually Minnie's uncle's land, which he had the deed for. But first, they had some business to attend to in Colorado. Baldwin Williams, Minnie and Nanny's brother, Winnie, had died in 1892 after suffering some work-related injury, I believe. (laughs) I actually think it was very similar to what had happened to his dad, only like 30 years previous. But anyway, he had survived the initial accident, and after a a few days it was looking like he was going to come around, and then he suddenly died. This is where some of the more far-fetched Holmes theories come come into play. People believe that Holmes had been in regular contact with Minnie for some time before 1893 and that they had struck up a romance while she was still living in Boston. This is a stretch in my opinion, but like I said, Baldwin was supposedly looking like he was going to recover from the injuries before suddenly dying in a sickbed. People initially thought that Holmes travelled all the way to Colorado just to finish him off, but Adam Seltzer found proof that Holmes was actually elsewhere on the few days around his death and wouldn't have been able to travel back and forth quick enough. And the funny thing is that the, the proof that Seltzer found was like him taking out bad loans, <laughs> swindling a, another bike dealer and like other fucking rascalities that he were being carried out on these days to prove that Holmes was otherwise occupied. But that doesn't mean that he didn't have someone do his dirty work for him, though. Benjamin Peitzel was the ever-faithful assistant. I don't know if I believe this, but it's a common enough theory, apparently pushed in some variation by Holmes himself. I mean, Holmes actually said that he shot Baldwin, personally, but in like 1894. So the timeline doesn't even wrap up. But either way, some people believe that Peitzel went from Chicago to Colorado to kill... Baldwin in 1892 only for Holmes to be able to come back down in 1894 and collect Minnie and Nanny's share of Baldwin's life insurance payout which was around a thousand dollars very what's the word colluded is that a word
1: convoluted
0: convoluted yeah <laughs> it's late a very convoluted theory I think but it is a theory nonetheless Holmes and Georgiana were married while in Colorado too Holmes had assured Georgiana's mother that they would have a chaperone on the way down because it was un- because it was improper for an unwed woman to be traveling alone with a man, even when she was engaged to. Holmes told Missus Yoke that a cousin of his would be their chaperone as well as a witness for their wedding ceremony. His cousin. Peitel. Minnie Williams.
1: Oh oh yeah, because Minnie was everywhere.
0: Minnie was everywhere. So, like with his other weird attempts to keep his victims' names alive, and to keep people from thinking that he had murdered them, obviously, as well, um, Holmes kept Minnie's name alive for a long, long time. People would report meeting Holmes in various cities and situations and being introduced to a Minnie Williams long after she had been murdered. But thanks to Adam Selzer's sleuthing, we know that Henry M. Howard, as he was going by, married Georgiana Yoke on January 17th, 1894, in Denver. The officiant was Reverend E.J. Wilcox, and witnesses, and the witnesses were C.M. Ozenbaugh and Bessie Anderson. Now, I think these are just like congregants of the Reverend's church or maybe office workers or something. But either way, it was proof that Minnie Williams was not actually there. Even though Georgiana's mother went to the press like, once Holmes was arrested and she said, no, 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 I have proof he told me and I have their wedding, uh, their marriage certificate here which says the witnesses are and when she pulled it out, Minnie Williams's name wasn't actually on it. She had gotten herself confused mm. because of the fate she had in Holmes. Anyway, from Colorado, they headed south to Fort Worth, Texas. Here, Holmes again changed names, explaining to his new bride that he had been informed of squatters living on his uncle's land And he didn't want them finding out who he was, so he became either O.C. Pratt or H.M. Pratt, while Peitzel became Benton T. Lyman. Georgiana accepted this reason, and again, I really think that this is some of his more reasonable lies. Like, people were trying to make out that Georgiana was, like, complicit and going along with it, but really, like, he's telling her fairly believable things like this is nothing too outlandish especially back in the day he's saying like oh well if I want this land I have to change my name because of my uncle and then when he gets there he's saying well if I keep my uncle's name here the squatters are going to recognize it and they're going to kill me because they want the land for themselves Mm -hmm. so anyway I don't think that Georgiana was as complicit as some newspapers and stuff were making her out to be Minnie's land was a decent sized lot on the corner of 2nd and Russell Street near the Tarrant County Courthouse. I tried to find this place out as well, but I think Russell or Rusk Street has had its name changed. But 2nd Street is right by the Tarrant County Courthouse. So if you want to give yourself a little home's tour, you can go around there and that's where the land was.
1: You can pull Adam and Google that shit.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Find out for me, actually, if you have (laughs) access to the town's historical records of uh, street names. We'll do a whole bonus episode on that. <laughs> but when but when Holmes saw the the plot of land, a light bulb went off over his head and he decided to do something completely original and out of left field. He was gonna construct a quote imposing three-story office building on the site, acquiring materials and furnishings on credit, issuing fraudulent notes for the labor and using the deed as collateral for a string of substantial loans. How had he never thought of this before?
1: It's like Groundhog Day.
0: It actually does get a little bit like Groundhog Day uh, going through some of this stuff. He was literally designing the same building as he had in Englewood, only this one was roughly twice the size. And even while this one was being built, he began to make inquiries about a third building if he could find land nearby. After around two months, he had swindled more than $30,000 worth of loans based on what he was building. And of course, no contractor was being paid or anything. But on top of all of this, he was also doing his old, like just buying random shit on credit and selling it on. And I think this was a point of almost pure madness for Holmes. Like the game had gotten boring and now he just needed to up the ante. I also don't know. I know that the castle or I I know that his new building was never exactly finished but it stood on that corner for years after so i don't know whether somebody else came along and like kind of took over or whether it was just this weird creepy husk of a building for years but he had started buying horses using dodgy credit notes that weren't worth anything and so the sellers would then try and cash these notes in at the bank and be told this isn't worth anything so this actually took me a while like to kind of wrap my head around. But these were basically checks. Like back in the day, you could just make your own check. Mm. Didn't have to be endorsed by any bank or anything. You would just write on a piece of paper. This note is... This you know, note has money. Yeah, basically. And people would be like, oh, I believe you because that's really fancy writing. And I guess they had a lot more faith in humans back then.
1: And you're dressed nice.
0: And you're dressed nice, yeah. But anyway... They would bring these notes to the bank and be told, no, this is just a piece of paper. But horse thievery in Texas was literally punishable by death. Today, someone stealing a horse in Texas could potentially be imprisoned for 99 years. And as well as this, the official Wild West period ended in only 1895. So Holmes was literally playing one of the most dangerous games in the Wild West. Now, people seem to think that he was living out some sort of narcissistic fantasy, but his rascalities were soon discovered here. But before I move on, because we actually did have a nice discussion the other day. <laughs> like, it's not only that he's living out this fantasy or whatever, but like Texas in the Wild West days would have been like Hollywood almost now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These, This is where these horrific bandits and stuff were originating from. mm And so people were reading these legendary names in the papers, like Jesse James or Billy the Kid. And they were like, I want a slice of that action because they did have fame. They were doing horrible things, but all the people were seeing was the money and the cool outfits and stuff. You know what I mean?
1: That's, that's the conversation we had about the obsession these days to true crime and serial killers.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, we were just equating it, like, especially now recently with, like, this new Dahmer uh, documentary or series out on or Netflix. Or the Bundy Tapes or the whatever. Bundy Tapes, all of these, it, like, really glorifies them. Now, thankfully, we don't have people trying to, you know, mimic them, but there is that, like, weird kind of fetishism. Whereas back then, I'm sure, there was an awful lot of young dudes who were like, yo, really the kid lives down here like let's put on our dancing hat and let's go
1: so it's basically a lot of the same thing back then too yeah
0: like they're gonna go and be these big notorious gangster criminals Mm -hmm. celebrities though as well his schemes and scams went undiscovered for years in chicago but this time they only lasted around four months holmes peitzel and georgiana fled fort worth in the middle of the night and this time they set their sights on st louis Now, I do think that a certain extent of this was Holmes just getting reckless in his activities. Like, surely he knew that stealing horses in Texas was a surefire way to get caught, you know?
1: Yeah, he definitely wasn't dumb.
0: Yeah, he wasn't dumb. But like in Chicago, there seemed to be a certain either he just knew he was more comfortable there. He knew more of what he could get away with, or he just genuinely stopped caring when he got to Texas. But in St. Louis, he tried another classic Holmes swindle. He bought a small pharmacy with a meager down payment and a promise to pay the rest of what he owed in one month's time. As soon as the drugstore was in his name, he stocked it out with supplies from the Merrill Drug Company, which he had bought using... Credit. Credit. Whoop, whoop. Once the place was fully stocked, he just sold everything, made a fake bill of sale to a, some made-up person. So when his creditor is called looking for a payment, he would just tell them, like, I don't even own this place. You need to talk to AS Home or some crap. I don't Whatever
1: know. name he made up.
0: Yeah, another foolproof plan. Only this time, while he was still... He plan- was the fool. He was the fool. <laughs> <laughs> but no, while he was even just planning his next move, like, because they were going to go to another city and do the same thing and... Another city and another city. You get one and you get one. (laughs) But this time he got caught. The Merrill Drug Company got in touch with the St. Louis police and on the 19th of July, 1894, Holmes found himself in jail for the first time in his life, as far as I can tell. Peitzel, meanwhile, had moved his wife Carrie and their five kids to St. Louis, but they were living in squalor. Even though Peitzel had put in a lot of work with Holmes in Texas, he hadn't really seen any of the earnings because Holmes had, quote, reinvested it in a real estate venture that was, you know, sure to double the money or whatever. He had told him, like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. But the Peitzel family did live happily enough, though. Like, they were all together for the first time in a long time. And even though Ben was back on the drink... This famous gold cure had unfortunately not done the trick for him. So he explained the next part of the plan to carry. Holmes and him were going to go to Philadelphia and fake his death so they could cash in on the insurance. They were going to do the deed in Philly because that's where the home office of the insurance company was. So Holmes reckoned it would just speed up the whole process with the claim. Let's just bring the corpse to them. you Mm -hmm. know. Carrie was not happy about this, one bit. She really didn't want him involved in such rascalities. But on July 28th, 1894, Peitzel had came, Peitzel came home steaming drunk and sat down at the table with his oldest daughter, Desi. He was mumbling and stumbling over his words, but essentially told her not to believe any stories she may read in the papers about him being dead or anybody who might sound like him being dead. And she kind of just brushed it off. She was like, all right, you drunk man. Like, what the fuck are you talking about?
1: What a nice conversation. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm just so glad we're all back together. Dad. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but the next morning, he hauled himself to the train station and left for Philadelphia. How awful must that train ride be? <laughs> Dying of a hangover. Mm-hmm. In the middle of July, with no air conditioning. Gross. And everybody just sweating on each other gross now Georgiana had managed to bail Holmes out after 10 days she was furious that they would arrest her gentleman of a husband over some silly business error clearly their mistake but in her defense the last 10 days had been a nightmare she was stuck in a strange city having to arrange bail for her quote wrongly imprisoned husband and she really like it really took a toll on her I also don't think she had any of her own money you know like Holmes kept the pocketbook. Mm -hmm. But Holmes actually noticed this time, like just how bad she looked when, when he got out. So he told her that he needed to leave for Philadelphia. First thing the following morning, he had some business matters to attend there. He was going to send her away for a week to visit a friend while, you know, he sorted out decent accommodations for them in Philadelphia. Now he genuinely seemed to care for Georgiana. And this is one of those weird human times or human points of the Holmes character. Like with Myrta and Will Met, like, yeah, fair enough. It wasn't a traditional husband and wife family setup. Like, he would just show up every few weeks with money and gifts. But when he did show up, Myrta, the daughter, and the mother-in-law were all so happy to see him and it was very good memories and happy times all around like
1: gross and, <laughs> no, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but then it was the same with georgiana for whatever reason he genuinely seemed to care about her and like even just in this example he's like i'll tell you what there you go on stay with your friend up by the lake have a nice relaxing few days i'll find us a nice little place that we can get settled in in philadelphia while i attend to you know, business and stuff like that. Just bizarre, I think. But Holmes and Peitzel were busy getting their scheme set up. Peitzel, under the name of B.F. Perry, would rent a house somewhere in the city and set up shop as a patents dealer, which was something he had had first hand experience in. So he wouldn't seem suspicious. You know, people weren't just going to show in and be like, I need a patent. And he's like, I have a dog. Yep. You know, whatever. They just needed to find a suitable place now and a corpse to put in that suitable place. Everything was going swimmingly until, over lunch on August 9th, they realized a critical oversight that would foil their plan completely. Peitel had forgotten to pay the most recent insurance note.
1: Nice. Yeah,
0: come on, Ben. One job. Like, I think he literally had one job almost at this point, (laughs) They managed to pay via telegraphic money order the sum of $157.50, just in the nick of time. The clerk literally noted that if they had even sent it in just a few hours later, the policy 044145 for BF Peitzel would have lapsed and this whole plan would have been for nothing. But with that taken care of, they soon found an ideal little shop with an apartment above it for only $10 a week. It wasn't the nicest location, but it was perfect for Holmes and Peitzel. In fact, the rent had even been dropped over recent times because nobody wanted it. Because behind this shop was a narrow little alleyway. And just on the other side of that alleyway was the city morgue.
1: Mm, perfect location.
0: Perfect. They needed a body. This was basically a drive-through body shop. A local fella saw the patent dealer sign when it went up. And he went over with some little invention he had that would sharpen a a handsaw very efficiently. He was an out-of-work carpenter. Peitzel introduced himself as Perry, took a look at the sharpener, and told him he could do whatever a patent dealer did back then, I don't really know. But it was going to take a couple of weeks. In the meantime, they agreed that the guy would come back on August 30th to build Mr. Perry a counter in his more or less empty shop. You know, because he was a carpenter. On Saturday, September 1st, Paitse was on his fourth visit to his new local bar when he realized that he was running out of money. So he would have to pay a visit to Holmes to replenish his pocketbook before returning to the bar and buying a pint of liquor to keep him ticking over. Because on Sunday.
1: The bars are closed.
0: The bars are closed. Yes. Thank you. I literally had a brain fart there.
1: Oh, I thought you were waiting for me to finish.
0: No, that was just... Your sentence. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I just needed that little uh, little help. Oh, yeah, and that, even that was a strange thing, I thought, like with Pites. I feel like that's a sign of a, a true raging alcoholic. Like, mm-hmm. he would go in, have one drink, be like, all right, see you later, Mr. Barman. Go across, do an hour's work or whatever work was for him. And he'd be like, I think I'll go to the bar. And this was like four, the fourth time by like 3 p.m. in the afternoon that he had been there. But when he called over to Holmes, Holmes told Georgiana that the knock on the door was actually business related. The person he spoke to told him that he was going to have to head out early in the morning to sign some papers over at his house. One last little thing that he needed to get done, and then him and Georgiana were going to hit the road the following afternoon. The business he was attending, though, was not the signing of papers. It was the murder of the ever-faithful Benjamin Benjamin peitzel (sighs) he killed him with chloroform which when inhaled can cause respiratory failure and cardiac arrhythmias
1: such a shame
0: it was yeah like poor el peitzel definitely never saw this coming he was like so when are we gonna go get the corpse yeah he was the corpse yeah and the thing with chloroform is because my only knowledge of chloroform was from the wwe like we
1: chloroform li- more like boroform. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what i'm talking
0: about <laughs> yeah, I think it was a bob's burgers or something
1: no it was a uh, billy madison
0: oh shit okay but
1: oh he was like it was chlorophyll that he chlorophyll, was like the yeah, science class yeah, yeah. Was like chlorophyll more like borophyll <laughs> <was so> stupid
0: <laughs> but my only knowledge of chloroform was from these wrestlers like I, I don't, I guess it was just like a storyline on SmackDown back in the day. Chloroforming themselves. Yeah, like they would run up with a rag, knock out the enemy, and then like win the match or something.
1: And they'd draw on their faces.
0: <laughs> literally, like in the schoolyard, we would be playing wrestling. And, and that was one of chloroform? our moves. Yeah, what I swear f- to what? God, it'd be like, I got the rag, I got the rag. And then oh, that person wow. would have to like drop that's so, I, <laughs> I know, like, now thinking like kind of like, fucked up these 7 and 8 year old boys pretending to chloroform each other like <laughs> what an odd time and
1: what a time to be alive yeah <laughs>
0: yeah Adam Lynch history fucking hell um I wonder if anybody else did that if, if you did do that <laughs> let me know but it was actually used as an anesthetic at one time and it was like you know pretty effective at knocking people out the problem was it kept killing people because if you ingested or inhaled enough of it you would die holmes then staged it to look like peitzel had tried to light a pipe but he was too close to a bottle it was actually multiple bottles of flammable chemicals and accidentally blew himself up again this was just not a great attempt this maybe like staging fires and explosions were just not holmes's strong point like maybe he should have tried something else like tried to drown them maybe But I don't know, like, this is not your strong suit here, man, you know? Yeah. And even the whole situation I thought was, like, funny. Like, who is going to be like, I'm just going to leave these three perfectly mismatched flammable liquids right next to each other, and then I'm going to lean over it to light my pipe. It was just strange. But Peitzel's body was discovered on Tuesday, the 4th of December by that poor chap coming back to see if like his saw sharpener was going to be sold or anything. He actually came in on the Monday. The place was unlocked. He didn't notice any weird smells or anything, but he left and came back on Tuesday. Then he went upstairs to discover the body. The upstairs room though was in direct sunlight and Holmes left the body lying there. Now he wasn't thinking that somebody was going to call around on Tuesday. You know, he thought this body was going to be there for weeks and be completely unrecognizable but even after just a few days, it was, you know, pretty rancid. So this poor chap sees this, runs out, gets the police. The police go to the nearest medically trained person who was just a drugstore owner. And even this guy, like, didn't exactly have this type of training, like forensic fucking crime scene training. But he noted that the, that the body was laid out almost ceremoniously, quote, stiff and straight. Legs together, the dead man lay flat on his back, his left arm extended at his side, his right arm bent at the elbow, rested across the chest, the hand cupped over his rigid heart.
1: That's not an accidental death.
0: That's not an accidental death, even that, but he also noticed that the body was charred in places, which kind of gave off the impression like he had been, like, flash burnt in an explosion
1: yeah he was seared
0: seared yeah literally he was seared but like he was burnt in the wrong places yeah or if he had been like leaning over this fucking these random bottles of explosive materials like say the top of his arm was burnt whereas it should have been the bottom of his arm. like yeah just yeah stupid stuff like that um the pipe even that he had supposedly been trying to light and it's a, a small detail but pietel actually smoked cigars um so anyway just a minor detail but the pipe that he was supposedly that he was supposed to be lighting lay neatly by his head as if placed there and the tobacco was still packed inside albeit a little bit burnt the coroner's report was that he had been poisoned but for some reason the police held on to the explosion theory and so the cause of death was quote Congestion of the lungs caused by the inhalation of flame or of chloroform or other poisonous drugs. Like.
1: That's like saying he died of something. Yeah. I don't know, <laughs> fuck
0: is something happened here. Yeah. But with that verdict, Paitel's body, I think, because it had been laying in the sun and it was so grotesquely um, rotted. Yeah. In, in such an advanced state of decay over such a short amount of time, I think people didn't really want to be in there. Like,
1: Oh, I see. giving
0: official reports and stuff. So yeah. the police were just like, you know what? It was a fucking explosion.
1: He's clearly dead. Yeah, let's just leave it at and that. And that's like, all we know and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: But with that, the body was put back in the cold room of the morgue where it was supposed to stay for, It. they had to keep it there for 11 days. Mm-hmm. For the family to come down and identify it. Or for someone to come down and identify it. Yeah. But that is where we are going to leave this episode. So next week, we will wrap this up. And it will be wrapped up quite nicely. But if you thought that this was strange, just like the absolute randomness of this episode. Like, I really, like, I know he was a criminal and stuff like that. But I really felt for Paito. Yeah. And the books, I don't know whether this was just pushed in the media for, like, to make Holmes look even worse, but the family were devastated. Yeah. Like, they were, they idolized their dad. Yeah. They were really, really upset, and he genuinely seemed to be a family man. He had a terrible drink problem. Yeah. But he was a good dad, like, Mm -hmm. at the... Anyway, so it's just heart-wrenching and stuff. But yeah, thank you, Dulce, for your patience and for coming back and listening to me waffle on for another hour and a half, even though you already <laughs> fucking knew the story. I honestly can't believe that happened. I'm just fingers crossed it doesn't happen again tonight. Cause if it does, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go dig up Steve Jobs and have a word with him. I don't know who the current owner of Apple is. Is that in bad taste or?
1: No, I'm just trying to remember if I remember reading anything oh. different, but I don't.
0: Well, that's cool. Um, I just got Red Dead Redemption again after somebody threw it away accidentally I, I thought it was names. the grudge I not movie naming any names.
1: I thought it was the grudge movie
0: But what I'm actually hoping is uh to start streaming it not nice. like not any set times or anything like that just maybe a couple of evenings here and yeah. there Um this particular series was mental like intensely researched stuff And uh, like, not not me, I didn't research the stuff. I just read the stuff that was researched, thankfully, but it was a lot. So I'm hoping to get into some like lighter topics for the next few episodes. Like
1: the Galveston
0: storm. Nobody wants to hear about the Galveston storm.
1: Doesn't matter. I want (laughs) to hear it. It's good. Okay. You'll thank me when it's done.
0: We might do a one part. I'm talking to the listeners. I know. I know. They'll
1: thank me when you've done it. They're going to be like, wow, I never knew that. And I'm be like, I know. That's why I told him to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, we will do that eventually. But in the next few weeks, I'm going to try and do some more ooky spooky, back to the good old, you know. Okay. We will do Galveston one day. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for hanging out with us and listening. If you want to go and check out that Magic Mind link one more time, is www.magicmind.co forward slash creep. And our discount code is CREEP20. Um, I'm going to edit this right now. After a sandwich, maybe.
1: So we got to go. will okay. see you next time. Bye. Bye.
0: But it is packed full of...
1: Dicks. <laughs>
0: and I bet when this happens, it's just them like going to collect their food from like... <laughs>
1: From like Wingstop or something. Yeah.
0: These atomic wings will not be atomic by the time we get back. You know? <laughs> All right. <laughs> he had been planning to whisk Minnie away. He had been planning to... Wi- this one again. Miss Winnie. Whisk Minnie. I'm going to find that guy. Because he keeps driving past at like 2 and 3 in the morning. And I'm lying there trying to go to sleep. And I'm not going to do anything... Other than disconnect his speakers and then like put them back in so they look like they're all fine, but really the cables are just all disconnected. Anyways.